Well, I wonder if you'd like to have uh, Zechariah 3 in front of you and uh, let me pray for us as we uh, spend some time together looking at this section of the Bible. Let us pray. Lord our God, you are faithful to what you have said in your word. Grow our trust in your promises, your goodness and love as we listen to your word in Zechariah. May we see and long for the fulfilment of all your plans and promises in the Lord Jesus, Messiah and King. Thank you that in and through Jesus we can be sure that everything is being worked out truly and eternally for our good and for your glory. Amen. The story is told of an Anglican priest who served in a parish church uh, for a number of years and uh, over that time he became a very keen gardener. And probably if you went there you'd find this uh, fellow, Josh, serving uh, there in the garden. He'd be weeding and digging and uh, planting and pruning his garden there. And one Saturday, uh, Josh needed to take a trip to Mitre 10 and so he realised he needed some more equipment for the garden, as we all do. And so he got there, he wasn't exactly sure what to get and so he asked the sale assistant and uh, there were a few options and so forth. And um, he finally settled on the right equipment, drove back to the church grounds. It was just after three o'clock, and to his great surprise, he saw a beautiful Bentley sitting outside the front door of the church. And so he admired that car as he kept driving towards the church car park and uh, saw the car park uh, full of cars. What's going on, he thought. What time is it? And he looked at his watch, 3.09. 3.09. A wedding. A three o'clock wedding. I'm taking a wedding today. (laughs) So Josh parked the ute, jumped out, and ran down the driveway to the garden uh, with all his garden gear on, and all these, you know, the boots on and so forth, uh, entered the church foyer to find the bride with the bridesmaids waiting on time. And he looked inside the church full of people, all dressed for the occasion, a groomsman at the front. And in his filthy garden gear, Josh thought he'd slip round the back and entered the side door of the vestry, took off his hat, cleaned his face. With no time to change, he just put on a white surplus uh, to cover all that uh, filthy garden clothes and entered the church, greeted the congregation and conducted the wedding service. Now, of course, if Josh had taken the service in his filthy garden gear, people might have been wondering, what's the church gardener doing taking the wedding? And yet, he didn't take the service. Uh, he, didn't t- he, 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 did, he did take the service in that gear, didn't he? They just couldn't see it. Now, in Zechariah 3, we meet another Josh, uh, the high priest. Uh, he's one of Israel's key people who's returned from the exile in Babylon, 
And if you wanted a summary sentence of the book of Zechariah, if you just want to sort of think, what is this all about? Well, it's verse 3 of chapter 1. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. Uh, The history line there is that the Babylonians have invaded Judah and they destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. Under Cyrus the Great, the Persian, the God's people were allowed to return to their land and their task was to rebuild the temple. And work had started, then it stopped for 18 years. Which is why the prophet Haggai, closely followed by Zechariah, bring God's word. God is jealous for Jerusalem. He has returned to Jerusalem with mercy and he says, my house shall be built. A picture of hope, restoration and prosperity is given. The Lord is on the move. But as Zechariah 3 opens, we discover an insurmountable problem. Joshua, the high priest, is unclean. Uh, he, he laid the foundation stone of the new temple, we're told in Ezra 3. But he's a mess. And we're told in verse 3, he's wearing those filthy clothes. As the high priest, he was meant to be the centre of the Old Testament sacrificial system. So when somebody committed a sin, they needed to offer the sacrifice for that sin at the temple. It was offered by the priesthood on their behalf. And then once a year, a special day of atonement. There was the one sacrifice done by the high priest for the nation. Into the most holy place of the temple he would go standing as the people's representative, making purification for their sins, wearing the names of the people on the breastplate of his robe over his heart. Symbolically, he represented them in the God's presence as their representative, their mediator. And on the front of his turban was a gold plate with the words, Holy to the Lord. So this cannot function. There's no temple, and the nation's high priest is filthy. It's the fourth vision. Zechariah sees Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord in verse 1. Can you see it with me there? Satan is standing at the right side to accuse Joshua. It's a courtroom scene. We can imagine Satan sort of pointing his finger What right does this man, this filthy man, have? Look at him. Guilty. Your honour. How does the Lord respond? Verse 2. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? In effect... The charge is throw it out. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem. Joshua, the nation's representative, has been snatched from the fire, rescued from the fire of exile. He's back in the land, filthy and burning. As a young boy of nine and ten, something like that anyway, I would sometimes go next door. In fact, I think you probably are the only people on earth who will, who will know this, apart from myself. I would go next door to my neighbour's yard, large yard 
and amuse myself, muck around, you know. And um, eight and nine or ten-year-old boys don't muck around, do they? Really? No. Anyway, one of those things, uh, things I used to do uh, was hop on a swing that was there. And I remember the day, and I was swinging so high that um, I was parallel to the ground. So I was quite pleased with myself, you know. And as I was doing this, I looked down and I saw a spider sitting on my lap. So he was enjoying that as well, I think. Anyway, my fun was over. So I slowed down and stopped in a hurry. And for 20 minutes, I just sat there, staring at it. I could see its eyes looking at me, and like me, it didn't move. I was in danger. Uh, suddenly, with all my energy, I leapt up and I ran, screaming, hoping that the spider got the message. Now, as a young boy, I thought that if it bites me, I could die. It could kill me. And the Bible says sin can kill you. The wages of sin is death. It really will kill you. So do not toy with sin or with God. So the issue here is, how serious do you think sin is? People are either seekers of righteousness who run from sin to the one who can pardon it, or they harden their hearts to sin, grow cold to it, and live with it. Which are you? However you see yourself this morning, and maybe you are feeling quite pleased with yourself, the picture given here in Zechariah 3 is the danger of burning and filthy. That's the picture given of Joshua, the high priest. His need, like for all of us, is the pardon for sin. Verse 4, do you see it there? The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. And then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin. That's how you and I return to God. The great call in the book of Zechariah, return to me. It's through the Lord's pardon. Joshua's cleansed. Everything that offended God removed. The time for accusing is past. All is forgiven. Do you know the story of Martin Luther, the reformer? Do you know that? He was studying there in the office. He studied there and the devil visited him. And just there, state Satan's there and began to accuse Luther. And began to sort of you know, write out a list of all the things that uh, Luther had done, all his sins. And Luther looked across at him at the desk and said, finished yet? No, the devil said, and turned a page and wrote out another page upon page of sins that Luther had committed. Finished yet? No, and so page after page were written out by Satan. Finished yet? Said Luther. No, and so Satan just kept going and going, endless pages upon pages of Luther's sins. And at last, Satan finished. 
And Luther got on his feet and in his pen he wrote over every page, the blood of Jesus, God's son, cleanses me from all sin. The blood of Jesus cleanses me from all sin. And that is the heart of the gospel. Take off his filthy clothes. I've taken away your sin. And it's such a relief to know your filth, the dirt, the guilt of sin is cleansed. And the question is, what is on your conscience today? What condemns you? What is in the dark place in your life? And nobody knows it except Satan who keeps pointing at it. Whatever that thing is, hear the heart of the Christian gospel. I have taken away your sin. Right over that thing, whatever it is with Luther, the blood of Jesus, God's son, cleanses me from all sin. Bury it with Jesus. Don't keep digging it up. No, you don't deserve such cleansing. That's the point. It's a gift. It can't be earned. Which leads us today to the second main gospel blessing we find here, which is the provision of righteousness. I've taken away your sin in verse 4, and I'll put fine garments on you, verse 5. And then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. Joshua is really now kitted out with this Garb and garment to serve the Lord. He's not left naked, clothed in righteous garments of God. Many do not realise not only are our sins pardoned, but we also have the purity and righteousness of Jesus credited to us. It's as though Jesus lived my sinful life so that I can live his righteous life. That God treats me as though he lived my life and now sees me as though I lived his perfect life. That that exchange happened at the cross. His sinless life for my sin, his righteous life given as a gift So now God sees me cleansed, pure, righteous before him, absolutely good, clothed in righteousness divine. That's the glory of the gospel, friends. So can I ask you again this morning, what is most on your conscience today? Maybe it goes way back. What's what's in the book in your life that's called a biography of memoirs and confessions, all from day one until now. What is it? And Satan keeps bringing it up again and again, saying it's not forgiven. 
He keeps sort of dragging you into court to accuse you, pointing to the stuff that's there. What's the worst thing he keeps pointing to? And have you applied the gospel to that sin of 1 John 1, 8 to 9? If we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Does the all unrighteousness include even your unrighteousness? Does it? All doesn't mean that there's some sort of category in your life that isn't covered. All means all. When God looks at me, he does two things. Can we see it? Verse 4, he takes away my sin and he says, I put fine garments on you. God sees me covered with the righteousness of Jesus. And every day, no matter how I'm going or how I'm feeling, here is God's declaration made about me. I may be feeling so far from that declaration. But the point is what God says. He says, I am totally righteous. That is how God relates to me. How is this possible? You see it in verse 9. It's because of the cross. Can we see it? See the stone I have set in front of Joshua. There seven eyes on that one stone and I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. It's at the cross. God removes my sin in a single day, taking all my sin and laying it onto the account of Jesus. And he credits me with the perfect righteousness of Jesus. My debt for sin goes to him. He pays it. His perfect righteousness comes to me as his gift. And there's an unchanging declaration from God the judge because of Jesus. I am right with God no matter how I feel. And that's why Charles Wesley knew it. He captured that in that wonderful hymn, didn't he? And can it be? No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed. Righteousness in, in righteousness divine. Wesley knew it. He knew Christ's righteousness was his. And this is why it's so wrong for anyone to say, look, you know, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a very good one. Have you heard people say that? Have you said that? I'm a Christian, but I'm not a very good one. It's an oxymoron. It's, it's truly baseless. The person who says, I'm not a very good Christian, is not relating to God through Jesus. but relating to God through their wretched performance. Could you be doing that? How do you relate to God? Through your performance? 
or through the work of Jesus on the cross that is forever perfect. I am still in a perfect relationship with God as much on my worst day as I am on my best day. It sounds shocking, doesn't it? But it's the greatness of the gospel. God relates to me always through Jesus. It's not striving to earn it. It's just living in the acceptance of it. And so God declares me fully right with him because I relate to him through Jesus. There's nothing up his sleeve for judgment day. I've come to the cross and God has dealt with it already in my saviour Jesus totally satisfied with me because he is satisfied with Jesus. How are you relating to God? If you be relating to God through your performance, then stop. Relate to him through your substitute Jesus. God is not happy or unhappy based on my performance. Whether I read my Bible tomorrow, God is happy, and if I don't, he won't be. He'll be sad. God demands righteousness from us, but he provides that righteousness for us. And that's the great discovery of the Reformation, the righteousness coming from God that is provided to us by faith, that, it's that, that in the cross God provides his righteousness to be clothed in it, covered in it, secure in it, living in it. And the Lord says, I remove the sin in a single day. What was that day when God saw most sin on the earth? Was it the concentration camps at Nazi, in, the, in the Nazis? Was it the killing fields in Cambodia? Was it the human plagues throughout all of human history? Was it the terrorisms of ISIS, the Middle East atrocities, the world wars, the millions of aborted babies? What, what do you vote? The day when God saw most sin on earth was Good Friday when all the filth and all the polluted garments, stench-ridden clothes were on Jesus. The ultimate day of atonement. So then Jesus' righteousness was then heaped on me and on you. That's the gospel the perfect work of Jesus, which is how we are to relate to God. God sees me right with him, whether it's my best day or my worst. And that's because my relationship with God is always through Jesus, which is always forever perfect. You see, once you've understood that, you, we just long to live for God. Verse 7. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge over my courts and I will give you a place among those standing here 
That, that, that's the promise of Christian service. A, a commissioning to be a, a representative of a God in the world. Joshua wasn't worthy to be the high priest, nor are we to be Christ's representatives. We're weak, flawed. But God puts treasure in jars of clay, displaying his power and human weakness. We need to hear the words from the Lord to us. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Our accuser has been cast down from heaven. His voice is no longer heard on high. We need to hear our Lord's gracious words in the passage, I've chosen you. Despite our failings and weaknesses and sin, God through Jesus has called us and pardoned us and clothed us in Christ's righteousness and appointed us to, to Christian service. Through, verse 8, my servant the branch, this person uh, which we'll come across next week, Lord willing, called Zerubbabel, the forerunner to the Messiah, the temple builder. Our sins are parted in Jesus, no longer filthy. Our accuser cast down and we can relate to God the right way through Jesus by his spotless righteousness and serving him with joy. Do you know it? Do you know it? When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, I, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. And with those wonderful words, let us now turn to our Saviour in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, have thank, we want to thank you and praise you for the pardon from sin and the perfect righteousness that is ours in Christ Jesus. And our Father, we pray that you may ground the truths of this gospel into our hearts, that it might bear fruit, that we would stop relating to you by our wretched performance and trust in the merits of Jesus who has perfectly satisfied your every requirement. And now, Lord, as we are the people chosen, pardoned, set apart, Lord, may we serve in that privilege of joy, looking to our Saviour, seeing him, our representative in heaven. Thank you that you are with us by your Holy Spirit. And we do desperately pray that the people around us where we live and work will come to know it and come to know the Saviour who came to deal with sin in a, sinful, in, in a single day. We are so grateful for it. Let us live in the freedom, in the acceptance of it, and know the joy of our salvation.